Ernest Hemingway wrote a short one-act play about three Roman soldiers drowning their sorrows at the end of the day's work doing crucifixions. Each man had a different take on this one they saw that day, the one called the Christ. The first said he was sick to his stomach, for he appeared blameless. Another praised a stoic-like death, a manly end to the muscular Christ. That's what usually attracts the Hemingway critics. They like this sort of all-man theme in him. But the third is a little different. He's somewhat of a cynic, vowing that if anyone could ever show him just one condemned man who did not want to climb down from the cross at the crucial moment, one who did not want to escape that time when the nails were driven, well then, said the soldier, he'd climb right up there next to him. We know from better accounts than Hemingway that that didn't happen, at least not on account of Christ's doing. It was his will, it was his choice. We talk of the hiddenness of God, of how God, as Luther reminds us, how God looks most like himself when he is least like himself, regardless of what others may see or think. And on one level, that's never truer than when God hangs there on the cross. At the same time, it is hard to imagine that people at that moment, at that crucifixion, would have thought, not thought that there was something different about what was going on that day right in front of their eyes. As Hemingway commented elsewhere, it was this looking and not seeing things that was the great sin. In Swabia, an area of southwest Germany, the Schwabs have a saying about things that happened long past. It is already so far gone that it is almost no longer true. And they even go on to say that Christ died for our sins so long ago, it almost seems not true. What a statement that is to make. The point, though, is not to deny the deed itself, of course, but rather to admit the painful truth that the deed has been relegated to history, consigned to distant memory, and so the lesson has been intellectualized and the impact is all but gone. The trappings, the institutions that have grown up since are all around them still very much there. But the impact of the bare event itself of what happened there that day and what it was said to accomplish. First, being numbed over time, and then when something radically different comes along, looking but not really seeing was a challenge faced by the writer to the Hebrews. He had a selling job to do of sorts, grabbing and turning the thoughts of the first readers of that book in a radically different direction with a radically different focus. The culture, the world that's presumed by the book to the Hebrews is so foreign to us, with its steady stream of sacrifices and the flow of blood splashed around, we say sprinkled, sloshed around and thrown about in the name of purification. The sights, the sounds, and the smell that surround all that, that slaughter are enough to grate on our modern cultured sensitivities. And then think of the benefit that was said to come from such behavior. But the Hebrews, first readers, were steeped in that tradition, expecting, believing that this was how salvation came. 
the law continued to crush, to exact a price demanded by God himself with no apparent end as history dragged on and on. What kind of God can this be? Marcion, and then centuries later, Harnock would balk at this, this crude image. But the Hebrews were thankful, cutting through it, thankful that God would accept the sacrifices, and they trusted that the blood counted for something. God said it would. And still there was a risk of Israel growing weary over time as ritual becomes routine. But the writer to the Hebrews knows something different. Sit up and listen. The sacrifices are over. The sacrifice, one sacrifice has put an end to it all, put an end to the need and satisfied everything for everyone for all time. Yes, there was blood. Blood is life. In and of itself, animal life counted for little, writes activists notwithstanding. But God made it otherwise in the old covenant for Israel. And now the Hebrews used to blood talk here of blood worth infinitely more because of the lifeblood of the Lord of life himself who offers himself up, made all the more valuable because it is given freely in obedience and love. This is different, a different giving of a different blood. It should have been theirs, it should have been ours, but that would not have ended it. The end comes rather in what Luther calls the commercium admirabile. Sounds such an, so antiseptic, doesn't it? Freilicher Wechsel, he said to the Germans, who knew full well what that meant. The joyous exchange, Christ for them, for us. Our punishment, his, his death, and life now ours. It's no wonder Hemingway's Roman guard didn't get it, for there was one who did not want to come down, but rather hung there to lift the Hebrews up and to draw them and us all to himself. Can you imagine what the Hebrews must have thought? It's over. It's finished. Sacrifice after sacrifice was at an end. At their own time, they had done their job. God saw to that. Israel had trusted the covenant. God saw to that. But it was all penultimate, all a foreshadowing of something far greater, far different to come. Indeed, there is blood. There had to be blood, not spilled within a temple built with hands, but gushing forth from the Lamb who is himself the temple destroyed and three days later built up again. Imagine what the Hebrews must have thought and the risk turning in a different direction. Long part of the plan, but so long awaited it almost seems not to be true. But it is so. God says so. And we, now so long in the past, those accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even farther back the world on which they are built, how does this strike us? Is it real? Or has the surprise, the joy, the thrill been domesticated, throttled, tempered, at this point, I need a big boffle over the top ending, but I haven't got one. Rather, I would suggest we simply stop and think we scarce can take in 
what was said in Hebrews. All this about a priest who is the ultimate sacrifice, God himself. It is not just the metaphysics, the ontology, the logistics of how this can be that is so mind-boggling, though that how question certainly is something to contemplate. Even more, the why, the love. Even more, the calm, the peace that passes all human understanding. It ought to scare the daylights out of us to think that it is because of each of us that this came to be, and it ought to thrill us beyond words that God would take the price of blood from Christ himself and put an end not simply to the ritual of the old covenant, but there in an instant also to fulfill the testament, the will called new. We cannot possibly wrap our minds around it, but he says that it is so. No matter how old the deed itself, no matter how far that Good Friday recedes into history, the final sacrifice, the promise for you and for your salvation is ever new, true again once more this day. Amen.